Lights, camera, action. another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 1994's The Mask versus 1998's Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Keenan, I think I need to change that intro. I think it every week and I'm kind of just used to saying it now. When I say joined by, I say that like you're kind of like a side piece here when, as I've said I, before. I, I, I've thought this before, actually. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. It's because on the Monday, there's such a like rotating sum of parts mm. where I say joined as always because usually it is that, but it is very much joined by. I do a lot more of the asking the questions and that kind of thing. And mm. I think I'm just going to have it because I thought it last week and I actually write it out because I write out the um, dates to make sure I get it right. Mm. And yeah, I must even be in the habit of doing that on autopilot because I thought it last week and I think it is. I don't week. know if I like I don't know if it's Luke Byron with Keenan Bonner, does that or Luke Byron I Luke Byron and Keenan Bonner. Yeah. Or we do um like the old uh like radio thing where I say I'm Luke Byron and you like Team Rocket like you're like and I'm Keenan Bonner <laughs> and together. Uh, no I don't I don't and then I don't like that. We like bump fists down the camera. And, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. We'll talk. We'll talk on it. So, anyway, the mask and Lockstock. The mask. I don't think I've seen probably since I was young. Um, I was thinking this, mate. I don't. And I don't know. I was, sorry, cool. So the fact it's '94 spun me a bit because. No, this I was is part thinking, of Jim Carrey's big year. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, been which, the mask. Yeah. But part of it is I always think because my mum isn't really like a film for a film kind of person so I always mm. wonder how did I end up sat in front of this like, like I, could, I couldn't picture her going out and buying the mask and saying go on you watch this so I don't know how I got there but there's several catchphrases which we'll get into which I think I've had go around my head like <laughs> daily since I saw this when I was probably you know reckon like Six or seven, do you reckon that's the cut? You're probably the wrong man to ask. You were sat in front of uh, Goodfellas Casino and uh, the Short no, Trek Redemption is two casino, years old. Casino, I saw really, I think it was about 22 when I watched Casino. I was just thinking of that type of film. I, I used the Serbian film and that you last week, so I didn't want to go there yeah. again. Short Trek, I'd probably watch a little bit too, then. Oh, fair The Mars, we're I always. Saw when I was about nine or ten. Yeah, we're always nervous when. Particularly if you, if, you, if you like the film when you were younger, we've had several ones where... Yeah, the brutal scenario. dislike it the second time around, which some we did. I actually think the most disappointing one, after The Mummy, is probably mm. Role Models, because I sat down to watch that and I was like, <laughs> rubbing my hands together. Like, we're taking a trip down memory lane here. We've got Paul Rudd, we've got Stifler. We've got the Ben Affleck joke. We're going to be all in, and it's like, yeah, this, this just isn't really... <laughs> I quite enjoy yeah. role models. I said that on the pod. I think um, I enjoyed it more when I was younger, which is what the issue was. Well, yeah, they, I mean, that's for the filmmakers, it's not so much of an issue because when you're no, no, the audience, you love that. 
it's just stupid. I quite enjoy it. Um, yeah, there is always, an, and you're not sure. You know, is it going to hold up? But it's like there's so many. Oh, there's so many elements to making a film, but there's so many elements that you think, is this going to hold up? Is that going to hold up? The CGI, the jokes, the the, the dialogue, you know, the plot, and you got you you you're waiting for something to fail or something. Yeah, because it, it turns out, and I mean, I'd said previously that like I'd seen bits of Lockstock before. I hadn't. Mm. I actually was. I must have just been confusing this with Snatch previously. Um, so I, I'd heard a few quotes from it previously, and I know there was a phase um, in Grime, probably around two thousand seven, eight, where Guy yeah. Ritchie films just seemed to be sampled in there. There was a, there was the scene um, from Snatch that was in Skepta's um, My Lowry uh, freestyle, where he's asked, he's been shot in the face, Lincoln. And so these things, I probably had just picked up quotes. But not really known what they were from. So yeah, this is my Funny first enough, time. Mate, my uh, my mid two thousands grime knowledge not great. No, <laughs> well I just remember that quote because I remember laughing at it, but having no context behind it. Mm. And why is that? And if he's been shot in the face, Lincoln. What do you think? The mask, though. The synopsis: Bank clerk Stanley Ipkiss is transformed into a manic superhero when he wears a mysterious mask. Superhero. Af- so yeah, after the critics' reviews, I do have a little bit. To give you kind of the background on the mask and where this could have gone. Okay. So it's believed that a large portion of the success, even if you just take out the fact it's Jim Carrey and people were probably going to see a Jim Carrey film, was that they didn't know this was like a comic book film. Uh, Because that does put a portion of people off. I wonder if it would these days, funnily enough. No, definitely not. Definitely not these days. But you essentially had Batman back then. And then you also had maybe Superman, which was kind of a one-off because that went horribly from when it peaked. Yeah. Um, The critics' reviews then. So, what an absolutely perfect role for the out-of-control, rubber-faced Jim Carrey, giving him purpose and plot that allows him to go as overboard as he wants. When his face turns green and his limbs get limber, Carrey's pretty much unstoppable. This cartoony creation is an amazing fusion of physical comedy and state-of-the-art cinema illusion. If a movie star was born in Ace Ventura, he is christened in the mask. Quite simply, this is the best and freest crazy comedy to come along since Beetlejuice. No, no respect paid to Dumb and Dumber, though. That was after. Was it oh, December 94? That was, wasn't it? Yeah, so he, this year was um, yeah, Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber. Mm, not only is he adept at physical humour, the kind of knockabout stuff that recalls the classic silent clowns, but Carey also has a bright and likeable screen presence, a lost puppy quality that is surprisingly endearing. And finally, this review is um, from your boy uh, Roger here, as referenced on another podcast, but he may have had the same reaction watching this film as so I had watching it this time around, where it was less about Jim Carrey and more about, well, you're, see, see here. When you hear his other reviews, and I give you this one, Cameron Diaz is a true discovery in this film. A genuine sex bomb with a gorgeous face, a wonderful smile, and the gift of comic timing. She is smoking. Not one word about his alarm. <laughs> no, but when it's usually like the yeah, most serious yeah. one you can get, he must have, uh, I don't know, he was on heat watching this and he was all amped up, broke that straight away. Yeah, I mean, we won't say much. Well, 
<laughs> I'll take you through the, the origins of the mask then. So essentially, this film is based on a Dark Horse comic book series of the same name, which uh, frequently comprised of very dark horror stories on how the mask would murder people with his cartoon antics. Um, Chuck Russell, who ends up directing the film, has said that the movie script started off in that tone before being transformed as a vehicle for Jim Carrey's unique comedy. Um, so in the first comic, and it was called Mayhem, I believe, if you go back to the scene in which he's in the garage and he's getting ripped off before he wants to go on the night out and impress Cameron Diaz, so he kind of turns his back here, takes the uh, dodgy car he's given. Um, in the first adaption of The Mask, this goes very differently. Um, he actually just slaughters those two cheap mechanics rather than uh, putting something where the sun doesn't shine. Um, in the same night, he slaughters a biker gang that beat him up earlier, uh, splashing one of the members with gasoline and then tossing a lit match in his direction. He then goes as far as finding his old school teacher who embarrassed him when he was a kid and uh, stomps her face in right in front of her students. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so they say. I mean, the, the, the scene where obviously he shoots the. He obviously shoots at the bikers, but he just misses every yeah. shot, doesn't he? Um, Christ, they're like. Imagine yeah, watching so the diary just fucking choking <laughs> some poor bitch. I didn't take this down. That. Um, so the biker gang scene is actually different. Um, towards the end of the Mask series, uh, Stanley Ipkiss isn't so much the main character as the Mask being the main character, and it passes between different people, and it shows you how they react when they have the mask. And so, okay. the, uh, poli- so the police officer, the, like, the main police officer in this, I always forget his name. Um, but in, in the third of four original comic books, I believe, he essentially uses this to fight crime. Um, the mask and he has the scene where he puts on a balloon show for a biker gang before putting out a tommy gun and slaughtering them all where they stand oh, sure. yeah <laughs> I, I've, I've got more for you um, oh, okay so they say it, it grants him boundless powers but it actually amplifies rather than changes which i think they allude to in the film um he says you see a guy who's downtrodden he's got issues he feels like the world has kicked him a bunch says the uh, artist of the comic book. Um, He says, all of a sudden, he has the chance to just get away with a bunch of shit. Um, The founder of Dark Horse Comics, uh, Richardson, his surname is, he says the mask in his mind was some kind of cross between the Joker and uh, Steve Ditko's The Creeper. He says he's a deranged vigilante, immediately recognisable for his green hair and electric yellow skin. He said... He's very glad this film was made when it was, rather than now. Because he said, you see people refer to The Mask now, and they use tags like anti-hero. And he said, that, that isn't what he is. He's, he's a radicalised mass murderer, not someone who you should be rooting for in any sense of the word. And he says he just knows that is how people would try and portray this if he made this film today. Yeah. Um, the character was initially viewed as someone that was going to fill straight in the void that Freddy Krueger was about to leave behind. I know they then go on to make another like 15 Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the character when the script was initially being drawn up and the comic books were, um, there was some contact between them. Yeah, they, that was what they wanted him to do. He, he was going to fill that, that role and it was going to be gory and, and bloody. But the founder of the comics um, said, 
as difficult as it was to get any movie made, getting a comic book movie made in the late 80s and early 90s that didn't have the words bat and man in it was particularly challenging. He says that if you were applying to like work in film at that stage, you'd be better off removing the fact that you worked in comics from your CV because it would just look down upon. You were just seen as these geeky guys that just didn't have a clue to what the real world kind of wanted to relate to and what they wanted to see. Obviously, completely different now. It's just a different world now, isn't it? In so, yeah. many, in so many respects. Because there, there was even, like, early scripts, as we said, that did go down this kind of dark path. Um, Michael Fallon was um, an early screenwriter on there, and he recalls that there was a scene where the mask shoved a machine gun down a guy's pants and opened fire. Um, which was right out of the comics. So it would have been very different. Essentially, they realise no one wants to see this, or the people that do want to see this, is such a select market that it's not going to be worth the effects and things that they would have to put into it. Mm, I suppose. So, I mean, I don't... But, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street made, it made, made money, so I mean, maybe there would have been a market there. But the, the, the effects that... Yeah, they, they required because they wanted to go down the kind of cartoon. They say essentially, if this film wasn't delayed as much as it was, it, it would have been horrible because they couldn't afford the effects that they would eventually get to do. Like they didn't exist, mm. so all of the waiting just paid off in the end. Um, the uh, director that, that you eventually get there, um, is it, uh, Chuck Russell's house. What said his name was? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a famous guy. Yeah, so he eventually as the scripts coming together presents it to Jim Carrey and he just falls in love with it he says it's like you wrote this script for me and he says well to be honest with you we pretty much did he obviously then has free reign to just go nuts with this which I have a bit more on now but yeah it could have been a completely different film something which I'm sure we'd watch and probably um, enjoy but wouldn't have been the hundred million blockbuster that it goes on to be yeah Certainly not in 94 anyway. No, no. Um, I'll take you through the trivia then. So the oversized teeth on the mask character were originally only going to be used during silent scenes, but Mm. Jim Carrey went away and learned to talk with them in just to make his character even wackier. Mm -hmm. And then the money they did spend would have been a lot more, but they saved like tens of millions on special effects because Jim Carrey's body movements and his face are just so flexible that yeah, they yeah. actually just didn't need to enhance them digitally. His face is the expressions he like the expressions he can do with his face and stuff is ridiculous. It, I don't know, and I, maybe you can answer this. I don't know if um, you've read things before. I feel like he's someone. The less you know about outside of his films, is probably the better like what he's like as kind of a, a general bloke. I know he's um, staunchly anti-vax, which he's been in, in trouble for lately because he tried leading the campaign um, saying that it was killing kids and mm. uh, all of this. And I know he's, he's had some other run-ins uh, with politicians, good or bad, previously. He just, he just strikes me as someone, maybe you're better just seeing that weird on the screen rather than off it. No, it's a very valid point. They say I didn't like, know if he's read no... anything previously. What about Jim Carrey? Yeah, like I, I can't imagine him and Cameron Diaz like chatting offset. 
And they say a lot. They say um, no, no, no. It's no proof. This is it. It's a yeah, it's just a story. But they say they did uh, the Andy Kaufman film. They say it yeah. just changed him forever. Like isn't they, the they never been, Netflix? Maybe there, there is, and it's really quite yeah. interesting. Um, but there's also a documentary on Netflix about National Lampoons. Uh, it might still be there and if you get a chance to watch it. It's, it's really good, really interesting. Um, but they just say like he went so deep into the mind of someone who was an oddball um, that it just it, it changed him and he, he sort of yeah. did, he, he never came back from it again so I can't tell you whether that's true or not that's just that's, that's just what people say and yeah. he, he sort of changed after this he, he became sort of essentially a different person but I, but I, I don't know mate. I, I, I don't know what he was like because he was definitely like he came from in living colour yeah so if I just think he would have been a different person. Maybe your views just change, your views change on things as you get older, anyway, don't they? So he he strikes me as someone who probably just can't quite articulate his thoughts as he'd like to be able to. I think that's a bit harsh. No, but I mean, you know, you know, some people where they mean well, but they they can't quite get that across. And just some of the just some of the things you read through him previously, he seems like a fairly good-hearted guy, but. There's all sorts of these like things that have popped up where maybe like with with the vac stuff he is saying oh, I just think there's too many toxins in these things and if we can find a way to have it then kids shouldn't be ingesting this kind of stuff but he can't get that out properly he just seems like a bit of an oddball really. No, he's as odd as he is as odd as two left feet. There's no there's no no doubt about that at all. I know if you um, have a look on his um, Wikipedia, because I, w- I was trying to see if there's anything that like we should we should know about kind of thing when we're talking about it. Mm. He he's got by in kind of one several defamation cases. Um, his ex-wife, I believe it was, um, in the end drove herself to death with um, drug abuse, mm. and like the family all just tried like individually suing him saying like he brought it on and he encouraged it and he was supplying it and there was like no evidence for this but he had to deal with that for years and he actually put a statement out which i can remember seeing where he said i could quite easily send my lawyer into a back room we all sign a piece of paper here and this never sees the light of day but i feel when these accusations whether you hear about them or not are put against my name I have a duty to defend myself correctly and ensure that people know the truth. And he won several cases on this, so he's probably had a pretty rough ride. Yeah. Maybe um, like his look has changed down the years, obviously got older, but mm. even just the, the type of films he does, maybe that plays into it. He doesn't do a great deal now, does he? No. Um, but do you recall the controversy when he did um, Kick-Ass 2? Oh, that, this annoys me. Not his view, yeah, not where, his view on guns, actually. Sorry, what annoys me? Where he filmed it before. Yeah, yeah, filmed it. Read the script. Knew what he was signing up for. Did it. Got paid. Cashed the check. And then just spends time ripping the film. And not saying it's a bad film. It's too violent. You shouldn't be watching this. You're like, well, you you can't. A. So, how far away from the original do you think they're going to divert in terms of tone and violence? Just watch that. That's an hour and a half, and you know whether that project's for you. Yeah. Read the script. There'll be stay, there'll be directions there, so you'll know that you're going to shoot someone or cut cut them up or whatever it might be. So you know that goal. You filmed it, taking the money, 
and then you're like, ah, oh, no, it's bad. Oh, maybe, maybe he had a crisis. Um, maybe he had a crisis of confidence. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, just think that that does annoy me. It's like the guy. Um, what was your mind? He did it like on the press on the week of the press tour, didn't he? He made like a yeah. big thing about it. What was that? Um, two and a half men, like the fella in that as well, did the same thing. Oh, took the money and took the, took the checks off him for God knows how long, and then oh, I hate this. What so the guy terrible. that plays um, Alan? The no, the one who plays the son. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. Because he he joined a cult after that. He said by the end he he thought the jokes were just a bit too close to the bone for him, and it's like towards the end they did kind of up it a bit with what they were trying to get away with, but at the same yeah. time. The whole show was based around Charlie Sheen going through women for a living and making crude jokes about it. Yeah. It's not good when I say it's one of my favourite shows after I've said that. But, yeah, that, yeah very, very weird. Um, mm. Yeah, it annoyed me at the time. Something that I really liked when I was going through the trivia here was um, the part when... Jim Carrey's being chased by the gangsters and he, 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 he's doing the balloon show and then he pulls out the wet condom and says, uh, sorry, wrong pocket. That, that was completely improvised by Carrey. They had no clue that was going to happen. Fuck he just thought that. it would be funny to do that himself. Jesus Christ. Imagine being on the set and you, you see that. He just like, pulls out a huge Johnny. You'd, be, <laughs> you'd just be off for fuck's sake. Man. Oh, that's, that's, I like that, though, that, that even still he's got scripts and he's still working. Like he probably sat at home the night before. Like that would be funny, and obviously it's funny. I, 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 bet he's, I bet he's chuckling, he's chuckling to himself when he thinks of that. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, yeah also, just for any reason, was he carrying a used Johnny in his pocket? It may just be a, a bit slimy. I would like to hope. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I mean, we've just done a bit saying he's a peculiar bloke. So you know, yeah, know. that's a peculiar bloke and he's walking around with a huge that's Johnny I mean. in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like, like to hope he's, he's Every he's, time he's, he's just... kissing the hand in the pocket, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're all right, son. Um, the yellow suit that he wears is actually based on a suit which his mum made for him when he first started attempting stand-up comedy so he could stand out. Hmm. Fair enough. I suppose you said that the mask has actually got yellow skin. Um, yeah, yeah, literally. I, I have to. I, I have to admit, I didn't didn't know that. I just I always took it as being green. Because yeah. um, the, the 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 film is the only. The, I, I think I've seen the sequel. Don't quote me. On so that. Son of Mask. Yeah, I saw that mm. as a kid from Blockbuster. God awful. Oh, before I forget this, actually, um, Sean reminded me of this in the week. Um, Freshers one year, I went down to his uni and um, we went out for Halloween. And mm. one of his housemates went out um, as the mask, green yeah. face paint, the lot. Um, he, had, yeah, he had a reputation. Pardon? Yellow suit? Yeah, he had a lot. Legend. Um, he, he had a reputation for, for not being too fussy, shall we say. Um, never doing our reputation um, very good yeah. on here. But anyway, um, he woke up with um, someone that particularly large mm. and had the kind of um, what what did I do last night as if he needed to ask himself. Yeah. Um, stood up 
inside of their thighs, just green paint everywhere. <laughs> to look at himself in the mirror. Can I ask you a question? Um, <laughs> guy, I'm just going to ask you a question. Are you bored of doing this podcast? No, 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 not at all. The last couple of weeks, you seem to be going out of your way to get into, for somehow, I, I'm not sure our viewership, our listenership numbers are, are big enough for us to be cancelled, but, I mean... Well, there's you, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That's all, that's all um, consenting adults. This is, uh, I know. I believe, uh, 19 at the time. I know. I just, uh, I just wonder, I just wonder, so a couple, last couple of weeks, been dropping a little <laughs> that's bit a good more story. That is a good story, I will, will admit. But oh, do you think you've gone on your way to trying to get us, get us the chop? <laughs> well, when I did this, Sean obviously didn't fancy doing the podcast, by the way. Um, messaged me saying, you, You've got to tell Keaton that story. That is meant to be. <laughs> so I even had to clarify it first to make sure I remembered it correctly. Um, um, so prior to Cameron Diaz, one extreme to the other landing the role of uh, Tina Carlisle. The producers have actually suggested Anna Nicole Smith for the role. Um, ultimately, that, that decision was reversed, um, as you know. Um, this is her yeah. first acting role, and they made her audition 12 times for the part of Tina, um, only landing the role seven days before shooting began. 12 um, times? Yeah, New Line Cinema basically did not want her for the film since she was a model with no acting experience, there's a lot of money going into this. Um, Chuck Russell was so insistent, and uh, you imagine he's been uh, hooked on that spell as well, that he reportedly told him he wouldn't do the film if they didn't cast her. I mean, I got it. He saw that red dress and was just charmed. Did you but know Google Google Cameron Diaz? She's doing um, like table reads with um, Jim Carrey and that. It's not like little kind of come in re- read a couple of lines initially she was going to get two lines so you got to think maybe she's going to be all like one of the police officers maybe someone who's outside the club um when they're trying to get in maybe one of the girls um when they go for that night out that's with his uh workmate mm. and then she comes in and they're all just like doing the mask face eyes wide tongue out yeah did you know she's actually retired from acting I didn't. Do, do they ever really retire? Because we did this a while back, didn't we? With Michael Caine. I know he's about 91, saying he's retired. But no, I don't no, I think she had. just said she doesn't want to do it. Do you Google her now? Um, Cameron yes, fair enough. If, if, if so. it, it comes up with, under the, her name, uh, it comes up with American author. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, have to, I will, will honestly admit. Um, Says, I, don't, I don't know what She told Kevin Hart, uh, I wasn't after realising just how much her life it had taken up. I uh, just wanted to make my life manageable by me. Oh, she's written two health books, The Body Book and The Longevity. Okay. I mean, fair play, fair play to her. I must, have, I must <laughs> admit. So, in probably, I keep going back mid-2000s, 2005... Did you know she was married to one of your boys from the, Good Charlotte? So, this is what I'm about to mention, because... 2005-2007-ish, um, the Young and Hopeless album comes out, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, the anthem, those kind of songs yeah. are going nuts. The, at one point, because they're twins, aren't they? The one has Paris Hilton on his arm, the other has Nicole Richie when they were best friends at the time. And then finishes with Nicole Richie and like, not long later, he shacked up with Cameron Diaz like 
No, no, one of them's married to um, one of them. One of them's married to Nicole Richie. Married in the end, blinding. So it's the one that was with Paris Hilton then, and then goes yeah, with Cam- yeah. Paris Hilton to Cameron Diaz. Jeez, Louise. Been married for eleven years. for himself, haven't they? Yeah, they've been married for eleven years. Pepper. Yeah, fair, fair play indeed. Um, very well for himself. Um, I'm sure there was someone else famous he was with as well. But one one of them was dating one of them when he was 25 was dating Hilary Duff. She was she was 16. So you've got a type then quite clear. <laughs> they, they just love like 16 by blondes. Jesus, how old were they? He, well, old 26, 25. Yeah, that's not good luck, is it? Hopefully it was the other one. It's the one who goes. It's the one who's now married to Nicole Richie. Benji Madden relationships and hookup history. I don't know who compiles these. Cameron Diaz, Miley Cyrus, Nicole Trunfio. Don't know who she is, but looks like a dime. Eliza Doolittle, Playboy model Holly Madison, Solange Knowles, Katy Perry, Paris Hilton, Kim K, Sophie Monk. These are getting a bit less uh, recognisable now. But yeah, blimey, he's uh, he's got some tales to tell. Yeah, back to Cameron really Diaz. <laughs> back to Cameron Diaz, though. Never yeah. really liked their music too much, but fair play to them. That young and hopeless album, great album. Um, yeah, comes in as a model, leaves as one of the biggest talking points of uh, of a Jim Carrey blockbuster, and doesn't mm. look back. Do you know Jim Carrey wrote a kids' book as well, award winning about being a wave in the sea and being depressed that one day he was going to crash up on the shore and then realises he's actually not just a wave until he does uh, he's actually part of the he's part of a big beautiful blue sea and he has some reflection and is happy with who he is and that's his kid's story award winning called Roland Rolls I think it was see I do my research mm. um so the producers actually hated the uh, Cuban Pete musical number of him singing to the police and then dancing along with him, which I was cracking up at this time around as well, when the one policeman starts swinging his hips and then they all gradually start doing it. They, they hated it and then they showed it in front of the test audiences and mm-hmm. they all loved it, went mad for it. And so not only did they keep it, they made the scene longer. They did slightly overestimate the scene, though, because they tried releasing Jim Carrey singing that into the charts. They did. Um, Pete's at number 42. Yeah, I can see that. Got to try, though, haven't you? Well, why not? Yeah. Uh, As you referenced earlier, Jim Carrey was paid $450,000 for his work in this film. A huge bargain for New Line because the deal was signed before Ace Ventura became a surprise hit. I made the mascot property for the summer of 1994 without them having to do even any extra marketing. Like he'd done it all for them. Um, he then inks a deal to do Dumb and Dumber right as this film's released for seven million. And so this was uh, the first of over 10 Jim Carrey movies to reach 100 million domestically at the box office. How old do you reckon Jim Carrey was when this came out? 28. How old do you reckon Cameron Diaz was when this came out? 23? She's 21 when this film comes out, by the way. <laughs> Central in itself. He's 31. Oh. 
this came out. Okay. And as one of those facts that is shocking when you see it, when when you think about how you view the mask in your head, he only wears that yellow suit for a total of five minutes in the film. Yeah, I thought this the other night. <laughs> yeah. Because that's exactly, that's the first thing you think of. Um, yeah, I did actually think that as I was watching yeah. it the other night. And kind of like the equivalent, I, I, I remember back at school, I always used to make a big thing about getting your homework done on the Friday or whatever, so you'd have the whole weekend free to do mm. whatever you wanted and enjoy it. They film every scene involving Stanley without the mask in one day here. Get that all out of the way with Jim Carrey so they can have the fun filming the mask scenes and just go nuts from then onwards. Fair enough. Don't, I don't, so, don't blame that. No. Um, do you, ah, okay. The other names that were linked with this before they tie down Jim Carrey. Um, Will Ferrell claims he turned down the role of Stanley Ipkin. Do you think that's real or do you think he's embellishing there? I don't know. I don't know what don't know what the big man was doing back in. He, he surely wasn't. Would have been Saturday Night Live, right? So would he have been no, bigger no, than Jim pre- Carrey at the time? They he, probably... he was probably no. a stand-up, right? Because he hadn't done anything. He hadn't been I mean, on like... telly. Started on I Saturday Night Live in '95. So yeah, so I saw it and was like, this just can't. Be, this must just be one of them where maybe he's made a joke and someone's picked it up as being legit. I, I, I don't know. Um, no, I don't know. I also either. didn't know that Will Ferrell used to voice Cow and Chicken. So there you go. You really do learn something new every day. Um, uh, I didn't know that either. No. The other names linked with the role Matthew Broderick, Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, Keanu Reeves, Mike Myers, and Robin Williams. Keanu definitely don't end up doing speed. <laughs> um, some, I think some of them could do a good job. I think this is just what you say made for Jim Carrey, but as yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them, some of them could have done a good job. I've got to think with some of these, you would have seen more scenes of him not as the mask, and they uh, play I think on. You get that with Rick Moranis and Matthew Broderick, would you say? Yeah, you yeah. play more on the look. I'm an innocent, nice guy that um, I'm so yeah. hard done by, and you probably have more of a build-up before he puts the mask on as well. Steve Martin. For the film's probably fairly similar, but they probably cost him more, A, because he's definitely asking for more money, uh, and B, he's probably not as flexible as Jim Curry at that point. Of the ones I've given you there, top three, or actually give give me top two if it wasn't going to be Jim Carrey of that list. Matthew Broderick, Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, uh, Keanu Reeves, Mike Myers, Myers, Robin Williams. Mike Myers and Steve Martin. Coco, Mike Myers and... Could Robin Williams? I think Robin Williams could do a good job there. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure that's sacrilegious to some people, but he'd be fully marketed as green if he does the mask and he does flubber. Mm. Um, he probably like if he, like he's one where you just get a shitload of the mask. Yeah. Names linked as Dorian, Jack Nicholson, Willem Dafoe, Dennis Hopper. Robert De Niro, bad, is it? I like Pete Green, though. I'll be honest. Yeah. I do like him. Okay, so after the success of the original, a sequel film was planned um, with magazine Nintendo Power offering readers a chance via sweepstakes to win a cameo role in the film. 
Jim Carrey eventually bailed on the project, forcing, amongst other films, uh, amongst other things, Nintendo Power to give the winner of the contest the equivalent cash value instead. Did you say what the equivalent cash value was? No, I couldn't find it. They did, however, then commission an animated TV series entitled The Mask, uh, made over 54 episodes. Um, and the final episode, you have a crossover with The Mask and the animated Ace Ventura coming in. And then that tied into starting the Ace Ventura TV series. Mm. A nice little crossover episode there. Mm. So Jim Carrey went from a reported 450,000 salary for the mask to netting 20 million for the cable guy two years later. Well, um, thoughts while watching this film before we move on and thoughts on the film in general. I thought the way it opened, and you used to see this a lot, kind of someone stumbling on an artifact, it kind of glimmering through the sea or whatever it is, or picking some rocks. And then you have that kind of build up, it gets revealed, and then the opening credits kick in. Yeah. Yeah, I do, it was quite um, classic the way they do it. Yeah, definitely. Then definitely, the first scene I thought to take note of, as we've mentioned here, is um, Stanley Ipke is making his move on the woman that's already in the office. Um, the thing I've got down here, him scoring the tickets and then her taking her mate is Standard. a disgrace. Him even over those tickets. Agreed. And then. The guy who's alongside him, and this always happens in films, it's always the guy who looks like he gets no women that's offering to take the other guy out. It, 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 it's like us before this podcast here, you telling me you're not having much luck and me saying, you know what, Keenan, I'll take you out this weekend. <laughs> it is guaranteed. You just let me know. I'll get, I'll get two women for us. Yeah, it's set up at a club and they're actually dimes as well. Yeah, that right. guy... He did not have that in him. No, he ain't got the faculties. Cameron Cameron Diaz in this scene, just beyond words. I I, I don't want to be too creepy, but you can tell that she was a model and they film her her as such to intro her. Yes. They they get every angle. I mean, they're having her bending over, they're they're zooming on their face and lips. They then switch back and they have a, a scene of her kind of walking so they can get her from behind. Like, the director here knew what he wanted when he cast a 21-year-old Cameron Diaz, and he made sure to flex all of that in the opening five minutes. Yeah. And then um, it does strangely work, doesn't it? The her and Jim Carrey kind of awkward chemistry on, on the film. It does. And I can't work it out. It's such a good credit to the two of them. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, another thing I had done, I love the idea of all mobsters having an air hockey table in their office. Like these mobsters, I don't know what like dirt they're getting done, but the one's playing golf in his office, and, and the others are playing air hockey around the, around the air hockey table. Mm, they're, having a, they're having a decent time there. Yeah, not getting a lot of work done though. No, the effect when he jumps out of the window, the first scene when he is the mask, and um, he's got the uh, landlady going after him. Same effect they use in Space Jam when uh, Stan gets squashed into the court and he's uh, flattened on the surface. Yeah, nice. There's definitely a lot of Looney Tunes influence in the film. Like you've got him spinning around like the Tasmanian Devil. The character yeah. is basically a green bugs bunny. Yeah. And they obviously have him watching the tunes on uh, VHS. Um, 
Mm. Yeah. The, the the gang in the alley that get their comeuppance, I thought similar to what they then go and do in Bruce Almighty. I don't know if that was a intentional thing or not. Uh, I don't know. Don't know. They shot very similarly. Yeah, there's no monkey this uh, in this one. Yeah, I enjoyed the uh, policeman telling him those pajamas are a problem. The boss, <laughs> you're 40 minutes late. That's the same as stealing yeah, that piece of work. Yeah, although mate, he, he probably should be turning up on time. Mm. <laughs> Another thing I noted at the time, agreeing to meet at sunset. Just meet, just give it that your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't yeah. have the little Apple weather thing to tell them when the sun was setting either. <laughs> just give a straight time. Don't have me standing outside trying to time it right for when the sun's going to set. Although you would probably do that for camera for hours in this, but still, yeah, you would. But nonetheless, yeah. It's your time. If I had to ask you your biggest gripe with the film, what would it be? The 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 illusion that Carrie's getting anywhere, that Jim's getting near, anywhere near it. <laughs> Probably fair. She's actually the one coming on to him at the end. Mm. Loves the fact that even though, whether it's a hopeless romantic or not, that he's just a romantic. Yeah. I, I was quite, because I couldn't remember this, quite annoyed watching it back. That... The way they make Peter Green look when he puts the mask on, I didn't like that at all. I thought it, it looks was trying too hard. It? Yeah, it, it was trying too hard to look. The, I'm a big bad villain, down to the like square jaw. Yeah, just everything about it. I thought you didn't need to do this. Like you could even have done a, like a slightly similar face, just like push the eyebrows down or something, a slightly dark shade of green, just anything, just so it's slight a slight difference maker. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it would have been much better. Possibly. What did you think of it overall? I didn't mind it, mate. I thought it was decent. Didn't have, wasn't sure what to expect. You say you often wonder if it's going to be good, bad, indifferent. Um, yeah. But I thought, it was, I thought it was decent. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I was really pleasantly surprised at how much I laughed while watching it. Because I'm not always yeah. the biggest Jim Carrey fan in some of his like swivel my face around this that humour like I quite like but some of the stupidity in Dumb and Dumber for example but it can it can go either way for me but yeah right in I I didn't feel I was relying on it being nostalgic as a reason why I liked it just even as like a standalone film I liked all of it I thought the last 10 minutes probably could have been better in the way they wrapped it up like you could have shot him you could have done this that I didn't need you like flushing him down the chain um, yeah, yeah, or yeah. anything like that to get rid of him. But it, yeah, as a PG comic book film, I thought it, it was really good. Just the right level of acting as well. Like we, we don't need you to be given like an Oscar worthy display here of like yeah, emotion yeah, and yeah. this and that. But it also didn't feel like it was we don't really need to put much effort in here. This is a kid's film that like, we, you just want to see the jokes as the mask. Like There was a certain level of thought that had at least got into it. How no, I get that. rewatchable do you think it was? I, I won't rush to watch it again, mate, to be fair. So, no, what, did you think of the, what did you think of the runtime? So hour 47 minutes, I think, probably about an hour 40 without the credits. For a comedy, pretty much bang on, isn't it? Yeah, I thought had enough of a story, had enough kind of ups and downs. 
Um, the bug wasn't in the comic either, by the way. They just needed some kind of path to keep this going and to make him not look like such of a monster when if you yeah. love a dog, essentially that means you, you can't be a horrible bloke in film terms. Yeah, well, John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you think was the best moment slash scene? Probably what I, the, the first night he turns into, into the mask, probably. The landlady um, escaping down there, the mechanics. Yeah. All of that business. The, yeah, exactly, mate. That rat, by the way, the journalist. Oh, snake. Well, well Pete Dunham should tell you. 50 Don't 50 Jews, 50 Jews. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the whole scene of when he meets um, Tina at sunset. Also, I'm, I'm not sure the kind of forcing a kiss on her and kind of pushing oh, her yeah. down it was a bit like, mm, I'm not sure. This. Yeah, I meant to say this, this that's a rough ride. You know, I ain't getting in the film. Well, not in the comic, not in the film. It. Like they make her look like completely scared and disgusted. Like they don't do it as yeah, kind yeah. of a, oh, I have a boyfriend. Um, I do want to do this, but I'm just resisting for a second. Like she does, they genuinely play it as I'm scared. I want no part of this. Yeah, it's um, but it's it's where it's played off as so light-eyed. As like, yeah, boys will be boys. No, just saying that you don't get that in, yeah. the, in a comedy these days. And, and to be fair, for like for for a good reason. Yeah, the um, the quote, I mean, somebody stop me or smoking is, as I've said, been rattling around in my head. For I really, I really like to peer peer see why. Why? Because I got it. Oh, I did like it. Um, originality, I, I guess, because we haven't had many Jim Carrey films, or maybe it's maybe been the first I'd seen. It felt original. It didn't feel like this is just Jim Carrey in another role doing the same thing. I thought it was pretty original as far as these kind of things go. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I do, 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 do agree. Very good. Um, well, I think I probably will watch it again. I, I don't, there's very few films I'll rewatch that quickly, mainly because we have so many to watch that we're usually uh, pretty busy. But no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, shall we get on to film number two? Well, do you have anything yeah. else you'd like to add? No, not really. Okay, so the synopsis. Uh, Eddie persuades his three pals to pull money for a vital poker game against a powerful local mobster, Hatchet Harry. Eddie loses, after which Harry gives him a week to pay back £500,000. What do you think the critics thought of this? don't think they'll be overly, overly impressed with it. I think it'll be the same old, same old sort of thing. There's a theme that runs through it, and I don't know if it's something you would imagine. If I tell you about its uh, comparison, mm-hmm. so it's, it's compared constantly throughout the reviews, uh, even further than just the ones that I took down. Yeah. Is there anything that jumps to mind that you would assume it's going to be? No. Okay. So, Guy Ritchie's scrappy, twisty, cheerfully ultra-violent tale of hapless small-time English hoodlums might be his best work. Fans of Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown are in for a treat. Fuck it out. Though Richie isn't the most accomplished filmmaker, his artistic use of freeze frames, slow motion and other camera trickery proves he, his, proves he is a precocious talent to be reckoned with in the future. 
What starts out as a hodgepodge of pulp fiction, train spotting, and reservoir dogs slowly becomes as enjoyable and visually stylish as the films from which Lockstock draws its comparisons. Finally, a very funny, very violent, and altogether wonderful British crime caper that could have been made by Tarantino's cockney cousin if he had one. So you can see the Pulp Fiction slash Tarantino I get comparisons. that. I, now, now that you've said it, I get it with certain scenes. Like the shootout, I, I get. I do get that. I'll, I'll save what I was going to say until we've done the trivia. Um, then there isn't much trivia. So on Vinnie Jones' first day of filming, he'd actually just been released from police custody. Um, he'd been arrested for beating up his neighbour. Found him. Um, do you know about the trouble they had getting this made, by the way? I don't. So it was uh, financed by all the kind of usual business people, film people. Um, they made the film and they couldn't get it distributed. Um, one of the financiers, um, Trudy Styler, and there was another name, the guy that goes on to direct Kingsman, and I've forgotten the guy's name, which isn't good. Um, let me just check his name, which is quite crucial for the story. Matty Vaughan. So mm. he was involved as one of the financiers, one of the people um, involved in kind of putting the film together. They make this film, they're convinced they've got a winner, but they can't get anyone to watch it. Um, Trudy and uh, Matthew Vaughan happen to know Tom Cruise. So while they're out in America, they put on a screening there and they play the start of the film, one of the, all the build-ups to the film, so they show these people what it's about, the press shots and all this. Um, and all these critics and movie buffs in there hate it. They're, they aren't giving it the time of the day. They're all snooty. They're looking down their nose at it. Tom Cruise comes in. Um, and then they play the film because Tom Cruise is here. That's what they're waiting for. Tom oh. Cruise is Tom Cruise is cracking up. He's like clapping the film as like Americans do. He, he's all in on this. And they say that the people who were kind of turning their nose up at it, because they see Tom Cruise is enjoying it, all of a sudden they're slapping their knee, laughing. They're getting really involved, telling the people next to them how brilliant this is. Um, they come out of it and... Tom Cruise is telling them before the film even ended, all these executives in the screen are on their phones texting their, their higher ups saying, oh, we need to get behind this film. Um, Tom Cruise walks to the front of the cinema. You know, he's not a very dramatic guy, uh, old Tom. Mm, yeah. And tells everyone, this is the best movie I've seen in years. You would be fools not to buy it. Then a bid in war comes through for who their distributor is going to be. So what almost... the fuck does Tom? What like honestly? Honest to goodness, <laughs> what does Tom Cruise know about a fucking good or a bad film? I know he's an actor, but like as a critical, <sighs> critical voice. Do you know what I mean? He's strange. I guess he knows how to make it, how to make a successful film, which is what he really wants to know. I suppose so. He knows how to, he knows how to make money, and if he's looking yeah. and saying, "I I could have done this," and it, I it, I think it makes money, then yeah, I I get that. But like as a as an art house voice, he's not quite the one, is he? But you can you can see how that kind of thing could happen because we had it with Scarface, didn't we? Where Scorsese turned to the partner and was mm. like, "All these people in there are going to hate this, but you you've got you've you've got something here." Mm. No, and exactly. Just for him turning up and giving it the time of day, all these people change their minds and they walk out of there with an American distributor and the money to market it. Mm. Always do someone a favour if you can. I like that from Bruce. I say. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, 
he's a dramatic guy. Even if he thinks it's the, the best film ever, he's got to know that he's he's doing them something good by just walking to the front and telling them you would be fools not to buy this movie. But on the works the same way, even if he thought he was shit and he, they were just like, look, we've sunk a load in his two mates, are we sunk a load in this? Just yeah. do us a slide and just say, yeah, it's yeah. a really good yeah. film. They don't have to go overboard with it. They don't like the best film ever, but look, that's a yeah. really solid well, film. That makes you guys that makes you guys money. Someone yeah. needs to buy it. He still does. The fact he's he, yeah, he probably has to sell it a little bit more than more than not, I've just done, but you get my point. He he yeah. could probably go a couple of notches below where he ended up and he, he still does still has the same Maybe the bidding was less intense or less parties to the table, but it probably still ensues. Yeah. Um, of the 44 speaking parts in the film, 17 were played by people who'd never acted before. Hmm. Guy Ritchie making moves, and I guess that's the way to do it. If um, you're a new well, film, if you ain't got it, if you ain't got a budget, exactly. So I mean, yeah. you can't adopt, you can't go on. He was only known uh, for making TV adverts at the time. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the ending to the film was actually altered sometime after filming had been completed, which is why uh, Tom is wearing a woolly hat pulled down low. Um, Jason Fleming had actually grown his hair in the period between filming it and the film being released and refused to shave it short again. So chuck a hat on him and uh, that's how they got it done. Fair enough. Um, you can probably see how this is going, actually. So Guy Ritchie had the cast play football on the set and divided them into five side teams based on their characters so the four yeah. main lads um, plus Sting the dealers the villains etc um, yeah. according to Dexter Fletcher the winning team was obviously Hatchet Harris team given they had a professional footballer on their team and Vinnie Jones um, <laughs> Nicholas Rowe explains that um, Guy Ritchie told one of the losing teams that he brought him back up for them which actually just turned out to be Robbie Williams loves a bit of soccer aid bizarre Rob yeah, and probably just being one of their boys, I imagine he quite likes that. Do you know, do you know he loves battle rap? UK battle rap, Robbie Williams. Oh, I did not know that. No. Yeah, he um, he kept trying to like he's recorded some stuff with um, Shuffle T and Luna C that just hasn't been released. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he had a phase last year where he just seemed to be all over it. Um, the role of Hatchet Harry was actually originally offered to Ray Winston. He turned it down. He, he he does a good enough job. I, I, have you seen Black Widow, or have you spoke to uh, Goff about Black Widow? No. Ray Winston's in it, doing the worst Russian accent you've ever heard. Like to the point where there's a point in the film where he just seems to realise, like, I'm Ray fucking Winston. I'm not doing a Russian accent here, and he just goes back to Cockney for the rest of the film. It's is bizarre. It, so it's, it's worse than his his, his effort in The Departed. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. That is, that is fucking terrible. Yeah, if you search like uh, Ray Winston Black Widow on Twitter, you'd see that I'm sure there's all kinds of memes and God, God knows what else just slagging him off. Mm. Um, the scene where Ed forgot to bring the guns to the robbery and uh, yeah. he sends him back out, that was actually added because someone forgot to bring the props to the set. So they filmed something <laughs> while they could until the the next day when they could bring the props to set. Nice. So that that is actually all the trivia there is. Um, how did you find it? So you've seen this before. I don't know how recently you've seen it. What did you think watching years. it back? I, I like this. I really do like this film. It's everything. I mean, have a look at it. It's everything I'm pretty much ever going to want. 
not sold. Not sold. No, I know you're not. I, I, I don't like the tint from the start. That's one thing that kind of annoys me. The what? The kind of tint to the camera. There's like a yellowy tint. That is about that. And then you cut out. Oh, sorry. What? what? Why? There's no need for it. It's like you had a broken camera that day and thought, well, we'll just leave it in. I'm not a fan of that from you, but okay. Him leaving the poker table as well seems to be shot like a, a cheap music video. Yeah, definitely. Very so nice. Like the streets, very nice. Very, 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 and the main thing you associate with Tarantino is the dialogue, obviously. And for me, and how smooth the dialogue is. For me, yeah, I thought the dialogue in this is put together like a cheap sitcom. It seems like it's there to set up a punchline rather than it flowing, even like it does in, say, Snatch. I think it flows a lot smoother. It feels like this is how these people speak and this is how they're speaking to each other. I, did, I didn't get that from this. I, was, I, was, I thought it was just odd. Like, I still laughed. But, but I found yeah, it hard I mean, to be really immersed in the film. A lot of that's inexperienced, first-time effort. You know, Snatchy's got a bigger budget to work with. Yeah, they take more, maybe take a little bit more time. So but you, you find that first efforts are never perfect, are they? No, no. But that's what I mean. That's why it probably goes against it that I saw those reviews before doing the film, which I know is kind of a no-go. But I just found that was when I was doing the notes. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't get on board with it, really. You disagree, clearly. <laughs> no, no, I was just, just, I was just thinking. Um, I like the, um, I, li- I like the, I like the, I like the chat on this. I do. Um, it's never paused. I've never. Again, I would, I would argue that you watch films to a much deeper level than I do, which is why our taste in films, whilst they are so similar so much of the time are also so, so different um i don't actually think i'll see them like that other than doing the notes for the podcast no i i, I often think well yeah they seem whilst we talk about films i mean it's pretty, it's pretty much one in every two conversations that you and i have um <clears throat> a lot of that is focused on the pod itself and that's probably where my my perception of that comes from i sit and watch a film to because I love to sit and watch a film. It's not. It's less analytical than I'd suggest. It's less analytical than you are. Yeah, I don't know. I feel recently, and it's probably quite bad. I'm feeling even without meaning to. I, I, I kind of made. I've made my mind up on the film pretty early in, and on this, I kind of knew after about 10, 15 minutes. Like, I'm going to think this is all right, but it's not going to meet the expectations that I've probably had for it because of obviously how other people speak about it. I, I, I get that. The hype's a hype's a horrible thing. Um, I, I, I often, I, I find quite often. I mean, how many times have we done? Have I said it with films on that we talk about? Um, it's a case of, oh, really, I, Joe, everyone told me I was going to love it. Judge Dread is the one person I spoke to to say we were doing Dread, and they're not made. Yeah, but like, no, it wasn't just you. I mean, it was. That was the, that was probably the consensus one. 
there's a few where uh, I think you're like, oh, I don't know. Um, but Dreads like, was the consensus was you, you'll love it. And then it was just, it was, it, by the time I got round to watching it, it was almost impossible for me to to yeah, like it as yeah. much as everyone told me I was going to. Yeah, I get you. With, with this film, now we've got two films coming up in a few weeks that are poker films. Mm. You've got a poker scene fairly early on in this. How do you think it stacks up with other poker films? Because I'm no extra, I'm probably the worst player you would know. I find it quite hard to follow in terms of seeing who I'd what. I mean, I only knew because they have the the rigged game that that you don't want to be better this much here. But I don't know if I was just out of sorts yesterday, but I wasn't following like, all right, he needs this card, so-and-so. Yeah, well, they're playing a, they're playing a, they're a different variation of cards, aren't they? So it's not poker, it's free card brag. Well, that explains it then. <laughs> that explains why my yeah, issue that's is. why. That's, that's why it's neither five, it's neither five card poker, which is the old, no offence to anyone who is a big poker fan, but the old school way of playing. Pretty much everyone plays Texas Hold'em these days. Um, and it's not Texas Hold'em. Is that Hold'em, not free out of the play. ordinary to do that for the film, though? To play a different style of poker to what most people would find palatable? Free card brag. Free card brag, you can go into any casino in the world and play. Okay. Or sorry, sorry, I, 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 I take that. Sorry, I take that back. Don't know that to be true. Free card brag, you can go into any, 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 you can go into any casino in the UK, and they will have, okay. a, they will have a, a free card brag table. It is called free card poker, poker, but the game is free card brag. That makes more sense because I was looking at it like because they don't even show um, the guy's winning hand in the end. Like mm. they, you just see him put his cards down like he's disgusted, and yeah. then it does the kind of fast paced. Yeah. And one of the reviews alluded to it. Do you think this is a case of uh, trying to show every trick he has because he does do the fast forward, the this is how I got here, the slow motion, the quick frame, like it's so many trips put into one like sometimes you've got scenes where you're doing like multiple things on top of each other that usually you may not even find in the same film this is the sort of stuff i was just talking about no i have never considered that much well even just things like um the music video style frantically kind of moving around and then in scrambling out of the, the place there and then you've got these kind of slow downs as he goes to meet up with um, his mates again and tell him what's happened. I just mm. thought it was a bit odd. Yeah, what, all right, if you, if you say so. <laughs> what would you say... Okay, actually, first of all, so Tarantino is very well-versed in bringing all these different sets of characters into one, making you have emotions towards all of them, and ultimately you know there's going to be a big showdown here at the end. Um, you kind of get the impression this is happening during the film and they kind of do lead you down that path. How do you think he does in terms of getting you familiarised with all the different groups of characters and kind of making you at least have some kind of either love these characters, hate these characters, I would like to see them killed, not like to see them killed? Because there's a lot. And as you said, for a first-time director's role, that's quite a lot to be dealing with. I think he does a good job, Guy Richard, just for the record. I think he ties it in well. Characters you need to know. The story that they tell about Rory Breaker and stuff is is good. 
Um, if it was Tarantino, I think you'd have almost the exposition like you do in so many of the films that this person is this person and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I'm not diminishing Clennon, you know, he's my guy. But I, I, th- I think how he does it is similar in all, in all films. Reservoir Dogs probably being the best example where he goes through and shows you a story about each of them. But obviously Guy Ritchie uses a little bit more of a voiceover, yeah. doesn't he? It must help because, like with Tarantino, um, as far as I'm aware, this is his script, isn't it? So it's not like he's taking on someone else's story. Like He probably in his head has ideas for the backstories of these characters that we don't even see on screen, which helps with how he wants to portray them and how he wants to put things together. It's not like he's a first-time director taking someone else's script, someone else's no. story and him having to put it on the film. No, exactly, mate. It, it, it definitely is your words. It's your words to your... I'm sorry. Your, you're transferring your words from paper to screen as opposed to yeah. your interpretation of what someone else's words would look like. So in terms of the scenes, what would be your favourite scene in the film? Uh, the shoot over the, the, sh- the shootout, um, Barry the Baptist with Gary and Dean. I, uh, the shootout is great fun. The story about Rory Breaker, he tells about setting the block on fire. Yeah, that scene there. of them driving to what they think is uh, the house where they've got all the money and weed stacked up, where you're just getting the tiny little glimpses of each of their stories. Like Jason yeah. Statham just saying things like, uh, that's why I fucked the one with the cough. And Tim's, I think there's another one where I'm saying about like a midget or something. Just you get in these little bits as it is a great scene of them just passing yeah. the car journey. And it's a good way of saying, look, this isn't a short journey. They're traveling across here and their mates, they're all enjoying each other's stories. Yeah, fair. Do you have, outside of the main gang, or if, it, if they are your favourites over those, then tell me, um, a favourite character or favourite group of characters? Do a lot of Barry the Baptist and Harry, actually Harry, Frank Harper, my mum, his dog, any of them. What, what did improve this is, in my head for some reason, um, I thought that twa- um, Lawrence Fox was in this. I was really hoping he wasn't a decent character if he was, but thankfully, obviously, he wasn't. Yeah. So how rewatchable do you think this is? It's a little bit longer than The Mask. Um, I think it's only about it's more more rewatchable than The Mask. Okay. Do you have any reason for that other than it's important? (laughs) Like you'd rather watch it again sooner? No, I'd rather watch it again sooner. But again, it's it's one of them, mate. Where I'm always, like I said, I'm always going to enjoy it. Yeah, I didn't know if it was because you find it like lighter, like it's easier, like an easier watch. Whether it's you just prefer like there's more scenes and you'd rather sit and watch again, like. I just thought as an overall, as an overriding thing. I've always said this to you. My thing about rewatchability is, give me the two now and say you have to watch one of them. What one am I going to put on? Lockstock. And we're going to do it uh, in a couple of months' time, I think. But do you prefer this or Snatch? I go back and forth. There's no way of without sounding like a mold question when you ask when you ask any question about the film Snatch either. <laughs> no, I know, but I go back and forth on it. I really do. I really like rock and roll. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, do you want to do the judging, or do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, not overly, mate. To be honest. Just a uh, side note while I uh, load up the uh, scorecards. Mm. Do you know when this plays in America, they actually have to uh, subtitle it like they do a train spot in like the hard subtitles? 
because they just have no clue what the hell's going on. Yeah, I think I get that. I think we're going to be quite torn here, you know. Um, start off with which film did you prefer? Long Star. Is that the same for you for rewatchability? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm the opposite on both counts, so could be one of them. Best moment slash scene? Shootout. In Lockstock. The Coco Bonga. Best quote? Save it. Oh, Lockstock. Oh, actually, I've got about to written down. Hit, hit, me, hit me with one at least. Uh, it's a deal. It's a steal. Ah, excuse me. That's actually not how it is. Uh, I can't remember what it is. It's, yeah, it's a deal. It's a steal. It's the sale of the fucking century. Let me feel the oh. vibes of your fabric. I still actually use that now. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many I like in this film. And I'm on smoking from the mask. Or oh, somebody stop me. Could be you, too. <laughs> okay. MVP. The mask. Agreed. Uh, so I'll get to that before we uh, get to the end. Um, best side character. Barry the Baptist. It's, it's got to be Diaz for me. Of course it has. I can't believe it's not for you. I hit that angel. Um, laughs per minute. Oh, I'd actually say lockstock. I'm for the mask, but that's closer than you would believe uh, for me. Yeah, there. As long as, I hope you, saw, I hope you saw, saw my point. Because it's the little, little stuff in lock, lockstock. Yeah, yeah. Actually, for me, it is a lot of the dialogue. Best soundtrack. Lockstock. I agree. Maybe a carrier charted a little higher. Might have been on board. Ocean Colour Ocean Colour on this. Originality. Okay. <laughs> Not that guy. Originality. Uh, the mask. Agreed. Bigger impact. It's the mask for me. $147 million. Well, I think this does a lot. I think Lockstock does. Oh, I don't know. I can't really say that. I think it's the mask, but more because this is like. Um, that Jim Carrey's coming out party. But it's also that this, like, this is Cameron Diaz being discovered as well. Yeah. 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 You don't get a statement without this film, though. No, no. And uh, I've seen a lot of people saying that if you want a uh, Guy Ritchie heist film, then um, The Bank Job. Oh, really? Like than... Yeah. Also, um, Best opening scene? Lockstock. Yeah, I agree. Best ending? Uh, um, that did make me chuckle the dog swimming away with a mask. <laughs> um, standing. I think it's Lockstock, you know. And they're just How do, do you think he gets the guns and do you think they get the money or do you think they're caught or do you think he leaves the guns behind? I don't think he gets the guns. You think he leaves them behind? Yeah. He basically realises that it's just ever so out of reach and things like this. I agree. Lockstock are in the better end as well. That was probably my, my favourite part of the film, actually. Mm, and best chemistry? Lockstock. Between, between the four. I... I Oh, you could tell me it's the mask, and I'd say, yeah, fair enough. But I do think, as a group of mates, those four lads are incredibly believable. The way they, yeah, basically, the way, they, the way they, the way they bitch and bicker, is like you being sat in the pub with with you and three of your mates. I do, I do, I do agree there. Um, yeah, my thing that kind of held held me back with that was all I said. I think you're not a great fan uh, of the dialogue, so it's got you're, well, you're never going to quite buy into it. But it's also my it's also my favourite thing, and the thing. That I like that annoyed me the most of it because I enjoyed the punchlines, but I felt like mm. everything was like 
setting up a punchline. And as much as we mentioned earlier, as much as I like two and a half men, like you can you can tell what the joke's going to be before the person says it because you've got the yeah opening line, the person to tear up, and then the other the last person to dunk it down. So that was my thing with it took me out of some of the believability in the way that I truly believe in Pulp Fiction when they're in the car talking about a, a Royale with cheese. Like mm. I completely believe as much as I'm laughing at that that they are having that conversation. With some of this, I don't know if it's trying to force some of the rhyming slang in there, whatever it is. It just took me out a bit. Um, I, I get that. I suppose it depends what you're interested in, doesn't it? Or what your yeah. thoughts on the film are as it, as it stands. Because um, I, I, for me, I, I really like it. Because I like it's the little, it's not the punchlines. It is a lot of it's the setup. And like, especially when it's the lads talking amongst themselves. Yeah. I could see. Oh. I could see me, like, not necessarily, but you could see yourself sat there, enjoy it, like, being part of, not the conversation yeah. about robbing, robbing people and shooting people, okay, yeah, um, yeah. but the little stuff. Yeah. I think this is probably going to be our lowest scoring of uh, the season because it's ended 3-3, so MVP being the tiebreaker on that one because we've gone through one, two, three, four ties before getting to it. Um. So Jim Carrey does make his way into the next round. Into the next round, and next week it's a big week. Just the for first you. time he's made the second round. Um, I feel like Dumb and Dumber has to have got third oh, previously, right. surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might be right. Um, so yeah, big week for you next week. Heat against Baby Driver. It most certainly is a big week. Um. Ladies and gentlemen who listen to the pod each week, please be warned that next week will be a lot of me talking. Um, he is a film that I love very, very dearly. And as it's likely to be a two-man pod, it's probably yeah, just going to be me. It will be. Oh, okay. In which case, then, it is just going to be me talking. Luke is I, think gonna... I actually haven't asked anyone. I just borderline kind of thought it's probably the best way to do it, to be honest. Um... Luke, Luke is kindly going to sit and be my 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 assist uh, my producer for the week, whilst I yeah. monologue about how wonderful he is, and we oh. we will talk about Baby Driver. I'm just checking to see if Kerry has ever made the second round. You know, yes, it has. Dumb and Dumber. The, he's got a very bad record. Yeah, Bruce Almighty yeah, went out. Liar Liar went out. To, that was the big. That's my boy run. Um, Dumb and Dumber beat Happy Gilmore at the time, and that's the only success Mr. Carey has had with us. I think uh, you know, it was one of the weeks where I uh, really went out to bat. Was Dumb yeah, and Dumber? Don't like, uh, Happy Gilmore. I, it's not. I don't like it. I think Gilmore's overrated. No one talks about yeah, like it's his best film. I mean, it is absolutely not. No, I don't think it is either. Um, but there we go. So thank you again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. We will be back next week with Heat versus Baby Driver. Goodbye.